The Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgarin.com slash rain. Want to make a podcast? Let me tell you about Spotify's program for podcasters, and it's called Spotify for Podcasters. I've been using it for over a year now. Couldn't be happier from the switch. You can record wherever you create podcasts, whether it be your phone, computer, and it's easy to upload it and distribute it to everywhere podcasts are heard. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. Best of all, Spotify for Podcasters is completely free. So launch your podcast today. Get started with Spotify for Podcasters. Go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome and thanks for listening. For another bro chat, we got Dan Satan Levy joining us. He's an A-10 instructor pilot. If you've been following along on YouTube, you've already seen this. This came out on Sunday. And in fact, Bro Chat 10.0 is going to be a live stream. And that's happening Thursday, January 26th. That's tomorrow if you're listening with the podcast coming out at 18.30 Eastern. That's 6.30 p.m. Eastern over on the Afterburn Podcast YouTube. Links down below. You can click the link there. Go hit notify. Like it. That way you get a little ding when we go live with Swag, who's an F-16 weapons officer. It'll be a fun conversation with Swag. He was a former gambler with me back in the day. I'm looking forward to that. As always, thanks to my Patreon supporters for supporting the podcast. And thanks to everyone who's dropped a rating review over on iTunes, Spotify, and now has subscribed, liked, and left a comment on a YouTube video. All that being said, let's jump into the bro chat with Satan. It's a fun conversation. This got fancy. Vader, is it, it your is it your intro or is it Bender's intro? I don't think it's mine. Gosh. I think I I know I did the Billy episode intro. So That's it's right. Definitely not me. So it's Bender. I, yeah, I thought I was removed from doing intros. Well, no. this is it's Rain's call. You know, I, I think it's, no, it's not my Satan, call. Even I don't know anything about him. So I'll just make some <laughs> stuff up. No, I, I don't think I, I don't think it's my call at all. But I, I do think it's Bender's intro. Are we start? Has this started? Did yeah, no, it started. We're, We're 30, seconds 30 seconds in. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking the video thing from before. But hey, welcome everybody to Bro Chat Volume 9. Maybe we shouldn't call them volumes either anymore. We got a lot of stuff we got to talk about. A lot of admin. Yeah. A lot of admin. Yeah, but we got we got Rain here as per the usual and Vader who's struggling through his TX. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to hear a little bit about that in a bit. And our special guest today is Satan, Dan Levy, right? Or is it Levi? Levy, close enough. Levy. All good. All right, restart it. Satan's fine. Hard E or soft E, what is that? I don't know how that works. <laughs> this is so why Satan, intros are tough. Yeah. yeah. That's like the guy on the TV show that everybody likes, uh, Shit's Creek. Same dude. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, well, Satan, Satan is well known in the fighter pilot community for stirring up, uh, I don't want to say trouble, but he brings, everybody's thinking it. Not everybody's saying it. Satan says it. So that's why well, I'm excited to hear what we got going on today. But uh, thanks to Rain's Patreon uh, supporters again. <laughs> that's the third time. So you guys go ahead and make your way over to the Kodiak Shack podcast website. And one day we're going to put a little Patreon link on there for you. It'll be a surprise. And then, you know, feel free to donate. But uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's start. Vader, go with your TX updates. All right. Well, before I do that, uh, I want to say thank you to everybody. People started uh, making comments on our YouTube videos and stuff. So I've been I've been trying to check that stuff out. Bender, you got to start looking because people are they're asking for more Bender like I passed you offline. Uh, so that's great. So we appreciate that for all the people who enjoy Kodiak Shack and the videos and everything. Uh, so TX update um, normally. So people who have not gone through formal upgrades. 
uh, or like any sort of pilot training stuff, what ends up happening is uh, there are multiple people in the hopper or multiple classes in the hopper of different people. Um, And what ends up happening, the courses ebb and flow. So you'll have a week where you have almost nothing going on. And then you have weeks where you're like, man, this seems like we could have kind of peanut butter spread this training out. But that's just the way the military kind of trains because having a bunch of people available. So I am at the point where we are uh, full bore into all the training. And so it went from like two events a week to like three events a day. Um, so now we're hitting up a lot of the Sims. We're getting into the tactical side of the F 15 C, um, which means there are a lot of similarities to Viper tactics. And then there are some departures that get me in trouble rather quickly. Uh, so we were, um, have, did you guys, for uh, everybody who flew the Viper, I don't know if the 35 has them, uh, the uplooks for like the, you know, the uplook puffers. Did you guys ever use them? Oh, I did. No, like you would never, uh, for the Jamex, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe in the I B course, it, never used it. Yeah, like you synced it once, right? Or like calibrated it once. Yeah, you had to calibrate it like separately. And yeah, uh never. so it's in in the C model, they they use it more, they they kind of lean on it more. Maybe it's because I'm at the FTU and so we train to it, but I'm like, nah, I don't. I'm not, I don't know how, cause what I end up doing for everybody who hasn't used it, it's like this little, uh, like display that you can kind of just like point at the bad guy, uh, if he's in certain places and try to shoot him with an off bore sight, uh, heat seeking missile. Uh, but the problem is when I try to point at the bad guy, uh, I end up stop flying the jet. So then I'm like, <laughs> go from like 300 knots to like 450 knots as I'm trying to shoot this missile. I'm like, I'm not even fighting BFM. Like, yeah, I should just like pull the point at him and right. so yeah so stuff like that and then one other thing i uh i was in the sim i did the standard uh standard trainee thing drago always says drago walters he was on the show previously uh he says that the being a wingman is a uh is a qual like if you're a flight lead if you're an ip you're not a wingman because you don't do the wingman thing. And sure enough, I'm trying to shoot, like shoot all my missiles and I don't look at my uh, element mate. We're in the sim luckily. And we get 0.2 nautical miles away from one another while we're about at about 40,000 feet. So, uh, which is about uh, like 10 to 12,000 ish feet away from each other or 10 to 1200 feet away or a thousand to 1200 feet. Hard, yeah. It's early it's, morning. We're it's working Monday, on it's the Monday morning. Times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were rather close. I mean, I could have read his lineup card, uh, in the simulator. So, uh, that, that was a rough way to start the sim, but, uh, but overall learning new things every day and expected contact range and even the worst of the Eagle radars is pretty darn nice. So doing that work on the uh, top half of the scope is pretty easy, but that's so what I got. You're on mech scan in the FTU, right? Yep. Yeah. You'll do, there are a couple V3s. So the AESA radars, which are like the real fancy new ones. Uh, but most of what we live fly is, uh, mech scan, like what's called the V zero. I only did WIC support for one, uh, Eagle TI sortie, which was the most excruciating experience of my life. The debrief with like every minute, you know, like we, you have to go capture where you are in space, what you're doing so that you can come back. And while the digital footprint and technology exists to like get through this in about five minutes, like, no, 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 we're going to take an hour and a half to go through and ask every single person at every single minute where they are. And if 
the chalk drawing is as depicted. But I remember that one we did, it was Sort North. He was, he wasn't a brand new wingman, right? But he was, I don't know, maybe six months out of like MQT and he had a 188 pod on his jet and he was like the low dude. And Eagles just straight bonsai, like wall of eight ship and Sort just wrecked house. Like he killed like three of them. It's like, this shouldn't happen, but Sort, the hero he was. Still is good for him. Yeah, just destroyed those eagles, but they made it even better for the debrief. Jammers are, you know, it's. I mean, you can ask an electrical engineer, which I am definitely not. But jammers, you know, they've got they've got a pretty sweet job. You know, they can just go out and just be like, I'm just going to ruin the lives <laughs> of some radars out there. And turns out it works pretty darn well. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's nice when your sole existence in life for that sortie was just to go wreck house and you didn't really have to worry about anything else just to make your life miserable and he did so i'm sure that wug the weapon school upgradey spent the next 18 hours of his life going through <laughs> that debrief of what happened and then probably got to see it again so that sounds great i don't know yeah he's better for it i'm sure <laughs> i was really i was really impressed with the uh the super hornet their radar because we would in Misawa we would integrate with the uh, growlers which is the same radar um but then also talking to super hornets i was at uh mcintyre doing uh kind of red air swaps for growlers or not growlers but f uh super hornets and uh we had a jamming pod i think on one of the jets as we were red air for this super hornet guy who is a backseat super hornet dude getting his flight lead upgrade um and he is in the debrief and uh, he's like, uh, did, you know, did you guys have any jamming? And I think we were like, yeah. And he's like, and looks at his IP and he's like, what does jamming look like? Uh, because apparently the radar just like works through jamming. Like he'd never experienced jamming. He just like sees everything with this radar. And I assume that's how the 35 is. Bender, have you ever seen like jamming where you're like, oh, like that's, that's challenging. Uh -huh. Uh, only from other F-35s, yeah. So we can oh, okay. we kind of wreck shop on each other, which is kind yeah. of fun. Well, I, guess, I mean, that makes sense. The F-16 is super good at that, too. Co-channel interference will get you. Yeah. You know who doesn't yeah. have to worry about jamming? Satan. Right Satan. Exactly. <laughs> hey, you guys Way at least easier. can jam, right? Do you guys carry one? Way easier. Bus? Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, if you don't have a radar to jam, man. It's no big deal. You can't jam the paper map that I'm navigating on, dude. It's pretty great. It's easy. Just look outside. Piece of cake. They'll get lasers and melt the uh the like the wax pens and stuff. Yeah. That's what oh yeah. Yeah. Do you use grease pencils on the canopy? Is that are you one of those guys? It's kind it's kind of a lost art. I haven't really done it in a while. I use it in the B course for like references for like where you're going to put your plane of motion and stuff on uh uh for the jet for for you guys but um yeah it's it's kind of a thing that's gone away a little bit just because you know you can't really do that at night effectively and we've got you know so many lights and lip lights and all the other nice stuff uh but old school guys definitely still do it for sure lip lights that's a sensitive subject around vader so <laughs> the yeah, i'm sure yeah, yeah, the last pro chat, which isn't out yet, but by the time this releases, it will be out. Mm -hmm. There's a lip light discussion. I don't know. If mm -hmm. I didn't have a lip light, I wouldn't I would not be able to fly. Yeah. Be oh, unable. Yeah. That's a measle. That's a measle item. Yeah. I should not have flown. But yeah, that's super dangerous and really risky. I don't know. 
Uh, good mention. But we got Satan on the podcast, which is which is fun for the bro chat again. Bender kind of mentioned it. Satan tends to just call it the way he sees it. There is a fighter pilot group on Facebook that there's a lot of discussion that happens back and forth. And usually when some shenanigans go down, Satan is like the first one to call it the way he sees it and gets everyone to chime in. My favorite and most recent right now, I guess not favorite, but the most recent is the master's degree. I, I posted about this a little bit for those who don't know, there was a point in time where the air force required you have a master's become a major or a lieutenant colonel. And it didn't matter what your master's was in. You would think like, Hey, I'm gonna get a master's in some kind of area of expertise that will make me better at doing my primary job. But no, this is not the case. It's viewed as just checking the box, so to speak, just so you can get promoted. It went away. And this is an effort to, I think, help fighter pilot retire, just pilot retention in the beginning or period, because you're like, I don't need a master's degree to go out and fly a jet. So that went away. And then late breaking, was it December 29th? Come effective one January, master's degrees are back in. And so there are a lot of us, there might be three of us sitting here that are meeting uh, promotion boards that if you didn't, if you took the word of the air force, like, Hey, you're good. Uh, surprise. Now, while the memo says like, <laughs> want you to value it, it always evolves to like, well, he has a master's degree. She doesn't. So he's getting promoted or vice versa. So I don't know. It's, it's, I think we should talk about mastery. Satan, you had some good points that brought up and it, it stirred the pot right off the get go about master's degrees. Yeah, no, I, I I like to think of myself as the guy that writes the uh, the Jerry Maguire uh, manifesto, the things we think and do not say. I actually, you know, try to say them at least in an online form occasionally. But no, I think this is this is one of those things where it's yeah, you want people to get more educated in general. Sure, that's a good thing. That's a good idea. And there are certain jobs in the Air Force where you want to have that level of expertise for sure. Definitely in the developmental test you know, engineering, those kinds of things in the civilian sector, you want to have long-term high educated people, you know, thinking of all the fancy stuff that we're going to go out and fly around and break, you know, but the the huge downside that you alluded to is, it's just going to crush dudes who are already doing way more with less being asked to do even more with less time resources, what have you flying hours, et cetera. And it's just going to, make people more vulnerable to not getting promoted. Uh, because like you said, they're the, the promotion board system that we have, I think is, is fundamentally flawed in a lot of ways. And when you've got a bunch of people on the board, just kind of comparing uh, promotion recommendation folders and, and everything uh, to one another, you're going to, they're just going to look at the container and says, Oh, this guy's got a master's. This person doesn't No, nah, that's easy. And uh, one person is going to get promoted based off of uh, Cracker Jack Masters or, or whatever. And the other person isn't, even if, you know, they might be way better suited for command or, or higher uh, higher rank in the Air Force. It's, it's frustrating for sure. Do you have uh, your master's? Who has their master's here? Not me. I have bachelor's plus. I went and got bachelor's plus for my majors board, you know, seven, eight years ago. And then I quit because I was like, all right this is good enough for me. I never really had any aspirations or, or thoughts of making Lieutenant Colonel. So well, that's where if I anyone has any questions about emergency management. I am a master in emergency <laughs> management. So that's very, 
very useful when it comes to operating aeroplanes. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny because I, I have so many questions because it's not surprising. They just threw it out end game and they just said like, you know, in two days, this is now a requirement where you can't even say like, hey, in two promotion boards or something like in the time it would take someone to get a master's if they wanted to check that container now that it's like unmasked. Uh, they didn't even give you that time. And I've talked to one guy. So most of us know him, uh, Tron. He uh, made Viper Ops solid, uh, solid mission planning website. Uh, but he, he went to the Air Force Academy. He, the Air Force sent him to go get his master's. And so he's kind of, he's got a really good perspective because he's one of the people who has his master's and he has it in something that is like a challenging thing. It's not like some BS master's. And, and it's so, from MIT, isn't it? Didn't he go to MIT? Uh, I think uh, University of Boston. So, oh, Boston. so uh, that was sweet. You kind of, you kind of undercut him there, making him near more, MIT, but, but yeah. Dang it. Cut that out. Down, edit. This yeah. is edit point. But yeah, the uh, University that. is Boston. Boston is also good. But there's many people who go to Harvard or MIT or University of Boston or all these places who get legit masters and they, they don't get credit. They not, not that they don't get credit, but they end up going, they're late rated because they spend two years getting a master's. And so their, their argument would be, and I'll be, you know, devil's advocate or maybe Satan's advocate. Maybe that doesn't count. Cause I mean, <laughs> but, uh, but they're saying like, Hey, I, I did this master's. It's a good master's and I don't really get any props for it. But I think the problem is like, it's the implementation. It's not the fact that you can see whether someone has a master's like Satan said, like, is it just going to be a rote? You have a master's, you get promoted, you know, and then it, do, do you not get a definitely promote or what's known as a DP on a promotion board from a wing commander? Like, do those things change too now that you don't have a master's? Because my understanding is that's how it was back in 2010, 11, 12, before they got rid of it. It was kind of like it would it would color the way you got your push off your base. It would color the way the board looked at it. So do you guys know how that is expected to play out? Do you think it's just going to be rinse and repeat of the old days? I think from the group commander and wing commander up, they've always been able to see if you have your masters or not. And that was one thing I remember actually going to SOS, the squadron officer school, when this was being discussed and implemented to get rid of or to mask the masters and the commandant. I remember who the guy was, but I wasn't super impressed. He's like, I value masters. I can still see that. So that's going to be how that is going to be a, part of the calculus when it comes to racking, stacking people off base. In my mind, like, sweet, the chief of staff of the Air Force, like one week ago said, we're going to value masters that are appropriate, right? Getting some kind of technical one if you're in a technical career field, but like, I don't need a master's to go fly a jet. Um, and But he basically said like, mm, here's a middle finger chief. I think this is really important. So I'm going to do it. Teach his own. So I don't think, honestly, that has really changed and that could have always been part of it. But I think I don't know. Here's an assumption that most group commanders and wing commanders took that direction and they valued it appropriately. Maybe it was somewhere in the calculus, but now, and I don't know how the promotion boards work. I know it's now been split up between like line air force and, you know, ops, et cetera. So maybe it won't have that much of an impact, but the fact that, yeah, in game, you're like, Hey, surprise. And your board meets in 23 days, get your masters in 23 degree, 23 days. It had to been like, Hey, in two years time, this is going to change. That's fine. The rules of the game change, but allow people the appropriate amount of time to then absorb the rules and then go play the game. 
I think. Well, yeah. does anybody know the promotion rate from 04 to 05? Like, let's let's just refer in the fighter community specifically, because that's really all we care about. Like, do we know what the promotion rates are? Like, is this going to even change? We care about everybody, Vader. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That was so yeah, not inclusive, Vader. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. We're really going to edit that one out. Yeah. <laughs> the But the reality is, like, are they hemorrhaging people so much that it's not going to matter? Like, are they going to say like, you need your masters, but then when they have like 20% of the 80% of people they need to hire, promote, have a master's, are they going to be like, yeah, well, we're hiring, we're promoting them anyway. I don't know. I can't imagine that it, I mean, I think they're struggling to have enough Lieutenant Colonels in the first place. So I don't, we'll have to see, I guess, but my guess is it won't be a huge factor probably for line of the air force. I don't know, but what I was going to say is what it does show or my beef with it and probably Satan's beef also is that they, they're just not good at valuing individuals anyway. You know what I mean? So it's, they don't value or they don't take into account that it, you know, if it takes resources and time to get a master's degree, right? So if they want their highest performing pilots in the squadron to continue to be the highest performing IPs and weapons officers or whatever, it's not like they allocate those guys time to go get a master's degree. They don't, right. They already burn those guys out anyway. So to put on top of that, what they're already demanding from their top performers, this other thing, you either get one or two things. Those guys aren't going to do it and they're going to get out of the air force. Then you lose your best guys, or they're going to burn their house down and their family relations down to get it. And they're going to get something probably worthless. So they're just wasting resources that way. Uh, so that's not good. And then they're going to get out and you're going to lose those guys uh, in the long term. Anyway, so they're just not good. This decision is not, at least on the surface, it's not a good use of re- managing resources right, from your people. They're already struggling to keep the best guys that there are, and they're not keeping them. Like my squadron is full of awesome, like the top performers from like the weapons school. Like they're all flooding into the, the Hill reserves, other reserve units. Um, and so they, they just can't afford to do that. Like they got to be smarter about how they man, like how they value the time of the people who they actually want to be the leaders in the future. And this, like, this isn't that, you know, it's not going to have that effect. Yeah. I'm sure the secretary of the air force was not intending to give the middle finger to all the bros, uh, who are struggling <laughs> out there to, to hack the mission and everything. But in a lot of ways, that's how it was received. And it's, it's just one of those, one of those deals where, um, the, the, the intent I'm sure was, was positive, uh, to try to be beneficial to, to certain, uh, people. And, uh, like, like I said earlier, uh, you know, promote education among the officer cadre to go fight fifth and sixth gen wars against, you know, China or Russia or whoever, right. Cause you need smart people to do that. You need expertise, but ultimately the second and third order side effects from this decision is going to be, I think, largely negative on retention, on getting the right people promoted. And it's just going to open the door for a lot more bad than good to occur. Yeah. Cause like, do you want, like, and again, we've said this, the horse is dead, but it's like, you want the engineer who's working at right Pat, who's developing the next gen weapon X, Y, or Z part of his career or her career progression should be at year X, you're going to go get a master's or a PhD from some high level institution. And then you're going to come back and keep building awesome things. But as like a knuckle dragging fighter pilot, the majority of us 
don't need that to do what we are paid to go do. You need go getting reps and jets and studying in the vault, et cetera, not going to get some Liberty University, which I just lost as a sponsor of this podcast, uh, to get a master's degree. Or Jacksonville State, go Gamecocks, where I got my master's degree. Um, like it zero value add. It just took away time from doing honing my skill, took away time from family, burned out. And now again, like Bender said, you're gonna force the people you need to be in, to be leaders in the future of the Air Force because they didn't get promoted. I don't know, like this, everyone in here probably has a story. And I remember right when I was leaving, there was a guy at Shaw who was a DO that did not get picked up for 05. So over Lieutenant Colonel for those listening. And he showed me his record. She's like, ah, well, you know, I mean, maybe he just had like a one-off. The guy had been a distinguished graduate of like four courses. You know, the all the things that we, I, we know don't really matter, but do matter when it comes to promotion board, like stratifications and awards. The guy had all those. But when it came down to it, there were three other guys who were just as good as him. And unfortunately... They only had three guys they could give a definitely promote to. And he got a promote because they also had to spread the wealth out amongst the other career fields on base so that, you know, 75% of the people get a definitely promote. And that's, that goes on your promotion recommendation form. Again, for those who aren't familiar. And if you get a promote while you think that sounds good, that's kind of like, yeah, he's a, he's an average or she's an average and it might or might not be true. It's just the, when it comes down to it, it's a numbers game of who's authorized to, or the number they're getting promoted at Congress. This just goes on and on and on and on, you know, I don't know. It's, I think frustrating. Uh, one of the things that the timing is just odd. Yeah. Cause if we were just like, you know, packed to the gills with people who wanted to stay in and people who were like vying for higher ranks, you would think like, Oh man, you know, this is a, this is a good way to kind of just create an easy delineation between who we want to keep around and who we don't. But the retention is, is not awesome currently. And, and, and so you just wonder like, what was the driving force? I know the, the MFR, whatever the, the, the paper said, like, Hey, this is, this is our posturing. This is our way to show that we, you know, to our enemies that we value, you know, thinkers and people who can help us innovate to the, for the next war. But it's like, I feel like there's other ways that they could have done that to try to posture or, or demonstrate that. Which I don't yeah. know. I mean, we there are certain like test pilot school, right? That's a great example of a very focused master's degree for a purpose. And then, you know, the guys that go there, like we Sonic Kirkman, he's one, he's a he just got hired by our unit. Um, but the guy is a he's freaking brilliant. Went to, you know, whatever test pilot school. Where do they get they go get a master's somewhere? I can't remember where, but and then comes back and he's like the lead F thirty five test pilot or whatever. And he just did the accident or the safety investigation board for the F-35 that crashed up here at Hill. Um, but like to hear him like brief that and to show like everything that he went into to like find the root source of the problem and stuff. I mean, it was, I've never heard a SIB like that ever in my career in the Air Force. Like it was amazing. I'm like, dude, that guy is, you know, he's got to be like one of the top 10 minds in the air force probably you know what i mean and so it's, there is a way to like leverage people like that and i think test pilot school is one way that we do it pretty well um but we don't do it well outside of that and it's not like 
you know, the MFR says like we want, you know, for China or whatever, like those guys are all smart. We want to get smarter or whatever. But uh, like you said, an EMS degree from Jacksonville state where I got mine from yeah, (laughs) international relations, master's degree from St. Mary's, which sounds like a pretty great university. It's St. Mary's San Antonio, which uh, (laughs) still a good university. Uh, I don't even know what the, I think it's the roadrunners, but um, anyway, that's not doing a whole, like, I don't think China is shaking in their boots because Benner has an international relations degree. Um, Yeah. In the end, it's going to be one of the guys you are flying with on a daily basis. Who's like a weapons officer, a much more valuable human being than me. That, and, and I guarantee I'm gonna get promoted, but I have my master's degree, but that's something so silly. So you got a guy who's out there like honing his skills, sharpening the knife to go fight the next fight. And like, oh, that was master's, but this guy has a master's in emergency management. Let's promote him. You know, it's like, that makes no sense whatsoever. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I wonder, because the weapons officer isn't really, it's not counted in any higher education, right? It's just like, hey, you've stratified being a weapons officer, even though it's it's a six-month course, at least for, you know, the F-16 stuff, like, or, you know, most fighter things. Six months course, that's pretty nut-crushing, it sounds. But. Yeah, and then they got to spend the next one to three years of their life just getting punched in the throat in the fighter squadron, like, going to conferences, working 15-hour days, like dissertation after dissertation, like mm, that you probably should value that person more. And it just seems like it's not always the case. So Satan, Satan, oh, go ahead. Well, I wonder what the status of the A-10 community is. Cause I think this, this is one, like, I don't know first, like Bender and Vader, what you guys thought, like I always thought the A-10 community had the highest morale of any of the fighter community. And I think while it might not be much better, I think the retention rate was slightly higher than other fighter crew. Like the Viper, I think was the worst by far. Um, and it just got crushed. So I'm curious to A10 status of the A10 community, what your thoughts are. And then if you're willing to share, you know, some of your life changes and what, what the rationale is behind that, you don't have to, but. Yeah, no, it's all good. I I appreciate the sentiment. Uh, yeah, we in the A10 community do have prided ourselves for a while on having a, a pretty good, uh, good, good dude or, or bro to, to non-bro ratio. Uh, I think my man Mobag described it as we're the social lubricants of the air force. Like we can, you know, make friends with the Viper guy, the Raptor guy and the Intel guy and the space nerd and all those guys and just, you know, all hang out and have a beer and have a good time and, and go win wars and, and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, right now I would say morale is, is not super great in the community. Not great, Bob. Uh, if you will, um, the, uh, darn good. The, the future of the jet is, is very much, uh, uh, in doubt right now. I mean, it, it all, that's always been the case, you know, 10 years ago, I remember being at, uh, Moody and the chief of staff of the air force sat us all down in the mass briefing room for both squadrons and basically told us that we were done. The air force is getting rid of the A-10 and that was that, well, he's gone and we're still here, but Right. That, but the difference between then and now is we had a lot more political support in Congress. We had, you know, Senator McCain, Senator Ayotte, Martha McSally, a number of uh, pretty big name politicians who were willing to go to bat for the airframe and make the, the, hold the Air Force's feet to the fire uh, with the CAST mission and say, look, if you're going to get rid of this platform, what are you going to do to backfill it? Like, you either need to, 
have a, an honest to goodness capability that can meet or exceed the needs of, you know, the warfighter out there, or, you know, we're not going to let you do this until you do. Well, now that's, that's no longer the case. I mean, you saw in the last week, you can barely elect a, a speaker of the house, let alone, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen later in the year when it comes to you know budgets and debt ceilings and all those other things. So uh, the last NDA that just got passed officially uh, divested from one squadron worth of A-10s. Uh, the Fort Wayne Guard guys are switching from A-10s to Vipers, which honestly is fine. They've been trying to do that for years and, and hey, good for you. They, they were, they, got given vipers i think uh, against their or they're given a tens really against their will but um that's the first domino to fall uh unit wise in terms of um uh uh the a10s getting ready to shut down for the garden reserve side specifically uh we were uh, my squadron was informed our, our whole unit here was informed this past weekend that uh per the air force roadmap uh this unit the the reserve B course that I'm, that I fly in and teach in, uh, is slated to shut down at the end of fiscal 25. So September, 2025, uh, the squadron would be no more. Um, the last squadron, we were supposed to be the last squadron, uh, standing, but, um, they swapped us around with Whiteman. So now Whiteman will be the last guys around on least on the reserve side. Um, and then, yeah, so, We'll, we'll kind of see what happens. That's, that is a little bit shorter of a timeline than I think what a lot of people were anticipating. Um, and yeah, I mean, with the, with the end of GWAT effectively and, and, and everything, there's not really uh, a huge push to have a, uh, a dedicated cast platform that's out there every day, uh, doing the mission. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough time to, to be, a, a an A-10 pilot air force. I still love it. It's great. Uh, if you're out there in pilot training and you get selected to fly the A-10, do not despair. You're going to learn a lot of great stuff. And the skills that you acquire in this community will carry you through the rest of your career because uh, I think the biggest difference between our community and, and the others that are out there is we have, you know, a, a support the ground warfighter mindset. We care about the guy on the ground. Our mission is the 18 year old kid with a rifle in the mud getting shot at, and it's our job to go and save. That's all we really care about and think about. And as long as you're going to fight wars with people in it and not have, you know, Terminator robots or whatever, that's going to be something that, that is of value, uh, to the air force. But yeah, it's, it's a frustrating time. Um, we can go, uh, way deeper into that topic if you want in terms of future warfare who's in charge of casts who you know should the army get a10s or, or whatever or should the army be in charge of its own uh closer support air assets um but it's it's definitely a, a time of change uh for us and uh, uh definitely challenging for a lot of folks i know they're having discussions about sorry they're like we're we're talking you know, like ACE is the the buzzword right now, right? And therefore, so agile combat employment, I think is what it stands for. But, you know, like going, <clears throat> I don't know how much. Anyway, if we're talking like uh, islands and stuff and beachheads, things like that, they were talking uh, in a meeting that we were having the other day, but they were talking about like the A-10s role. Like it was, they're like, we have to have this many for like counter beach landings or whatever. And I was like, holy hell, like, that 
would be a sick mission. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like nobody could do better than an A-10. Like, can you imagine like A-10s rolling up and down the beach? So I think, I think there is, there's definitely nobody else that could do something like that. Right. As far as I know, like nobody could, I know an F-35 couldn't do that. Vipers do pretty, you know, they can strafe pretty well ish, you know, if you're looking for <laughs> kind of a wide area to hit. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Nothing yeah, hardened. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing harding, hardened. Uh, so keeping them survivable, like talk to me about that. So I, I know like we, that's what we talk about when we talk about like Vipers not being able to survive high end fights um, and they're much more capable of survival probably than an A-10. Maybe at least that's what we think, but you, you tell me like, can, can an A-10 get to that fight where he's protecting, you know, beaches in certain areas where things need to be protected <laughs> beaches may be uh, a little challenging as as far as the, the south pacific fight goes I, I think our best role is just rolling heavy with mauled um it's not currently integrated on the jet but we can carry 12 of them on each airplane which is as many as the b-52 you know and so you get a four <laughs> ship of a-10s with 48 mauled you know that's that's going to be pretty overwhelming to any a2 AD or anti-axis aerial denial for, for those of you at home who aren't are full up on that. That's the, the short acronym for uh, basically the, the super meds or the lots of surface to air missile threats and China basically trying to keep uh, other people out of their little island chains out there. Uh, but that that's a thing that we can do. We can hang around the battle space for a really long time. We can carry a lot of stuff. And uh, we can, you know, kind of deconflict your battle space for you. So you can, if you were to do that, you could easily uh, overwhelm the enemy with that. If you put jasm on it, you could have, you know, four jasm and, and eight mauled on each airplane. That's a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm not full up on on what the other platforms out there can carry, but it's it's a good amount of weaponry. Um, but you know, all those integration processes take time and money and the air force doesn't really seem to be interested in either one of those things right now. So, uh, but yeah, we could, we could do the Island thing. We could, you know, the, the plane's got big, wide wheelbase, big wheels. We can off-road with the best of them, you know, land from on, on highways and dirt strips and, and stuff like that. Um, in terms of survivability, yeah, the, the air force in general, and you can talk about uh, this if you want, it seems to have, a, a while ago, it seems to have moved away from from electronic warfare as a, a priority and, and went kind of all in on stealth with a lot of stuff. And I'll alibi that I'm just a knuckle dragon A-10 dude. I don't have all the fancy read-ins that some fifth gen guys have. Uh, that's you know one of the one of those things that, that we just don't uh, necessarily get a lot of access to. But um, there are things that are out there that would make us more survivable if we just spent. Uh, I would say a modest amount of money on it. Um, and the, the other misnomer, I think it's a, 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 a talking point or misnomer or whatever you want to call it is yeah. The A-10 by itself in certain situations is definitely not survival. Neither is the Viper, but we've never gone to war like that. You know, we always force package. We always have, you know, different people doing their, jobs specifically for what is best suited for their airframe use the right tool for the right job right so uh in a combined fight like that i'd say we're survivable we can definitely uh contribute to the fight for sure but it's just not not in the current interest of the air force right now we're right now we're kind of getting treated like uh milton on office space where they just stop we're just going to stop uh, sustainment. We're going to stop, you know, your, your data link's going to expire in two years. 
uh, your air, your, we're just, we're going to have these wings where we're not going to install them. We're fixing the glitch. It'll, it'll be okay. We're just going to, you know, put you in the basement right now and we'll, we'll let you know when we need you. <laughs> yeah. I think two things, uh, with the, you know, now that I'm an air dominance guy, cause I'm a C model guy now, the, uh, you know, <laughs> so, when you're, when you're kind of defending and this is kind of holdover from being a seed guy, you know, defending platforms and kind of moving, you know, the entire group into a target area or into an AOR, uh, and then moving back out, uh, the, the, the problem set is, is flying slow. So whether it's a C-130 or a helicopter or an A-10, like when, if anybody's not keeping like 0.9 Mach or higher, it, it complicates the, the problem set. But, you know, so, so I think that is one of the tough parts is like, how do we protect the A-10s? You know, how do we, as a, as an entire package, protect them? But then the other side, which I think a lot of people miss out is, you know, we always talk about A-10s and CAS, A-10s and CAS. And like a lot of people do CAS and no one does CAS as well as the A-10. But the one thing that no one else does is the Sandy mission that we, we don't, we don't have a fix. We don't have another platform. Like everybody else is like, well, we can kind of part task, like we'll make CAS work, but nobody is like, Hey, we're going to make Sandy work. And so Satan, don't get shut down. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe Bender doesn't have to worry, but Questions? So Satan, can you kind of, just for people who don't understand what Sid, the Sandy mission is, and then can you kind of talk to how the A-10 fills it and then who could theoretically pick that up? <laughs> yeah. So the Sandy mission is uh, kind of shorthand. It's the call sign that the, the flying call sign that A-10s use when you're doing a combat search and rescue mission. So somebody gets shot down behind enemy lines, you got to, Go out, you gotta find them, you gotta protect them, and you gotta protect the rescue vehicle assets, usually a HH-60 helicopter or, or an MV-22 or, or something like that. Uh, so you gotta fight your way in, find the guy, fight your way in, protect them long enough to pick up the person and then get out of it. And so the A-10 community has long, is, is really the only Air Force asset that is uh, rescue mission commander certified. Like we have an official training program for it. Um, it's, you know, the, the Sandy one upgrade is, is difficult. I, I went through the Sandy one upgrade, uh, uh, eight years ago or so. Very challenging. Got some funny, uh, got a, the, one of the best debriefs ever was, was one of my Sandy one upgrade debriefs. So we'll talk about that some, uh, a little bit later, maybe if we got time, but, uh, um, yeah, so we're the only guys that do that. And there's really isn't another platform that is out there that is really well equipped to to do it because we have all the different radios uh, on board the jet that can interrogate the survival radio uh, with, you know, just via data, not voice. So I can get a, a good solid GPS location from a, from a survival radio. If that's broken, I can still triangulate. Everybody in the formation can kind of go out and do kind of what you guys do with the HTS pod and triangulate and find, you know, via ellipses where, where the person's at on the ground and still find them. You know, we can hang around long enough in the battle space to, you know, do all this stuff while integrating with all the other assets that are out there. And we've got all the radios and, and equipment and everything for it. Um, Nobody else really does that. The few times that they've tried to do it with with other platforms, it just doesn't really work out too well. The like the HA60 community, great dudes uh, that are, are really good at what they do, but because you're flying at 50 feet, you can't really talk to everybody. You can't be an effective mission commander 
of a, of a force package if you can't talk to everyone. And when you're that low, communication is pretty tough. Um, HT-130s, yeah, maybe, but they're they're pretty slow. They're not going to be able to do to to go, you know, over the fence and see what they can see um, without, you know, being at a huge risk um, just because they're they're slow and vulnerable and they don't really have any uh, any offensive or, or too many defensive weapons available to them. Um, Ten years ago, when the A-10 was first slated to go away, they did do at the 422 at Nellis, they did start doing uh, some some science experiments, if you will, about who would be the best platform to take the Sandy roll. And the two that I am at least currently aware of, it was Vipers and it was Strike Eagles. And I think most people initially thought that the Strike Eagle would be better because you got two people, you got a lot more gas, more legs, you can you know integrate and talk to everybody, you got more firepower. Uh, but it, I my understanding without getting into too many details is that the, the Viper uh, actually performed better. Um, I think it, some of that had to do with the divisional labor in that airplane. Um, but it basically took eight Vipers rotating through, you know, the various Sandy rolls uh, just based off a of loiter time to be as effective as, as four A tens in the, in the CSAR role. And so, yeah, that's that just really all I'm asking for, for, the air force is to have an honest discussion of, okay, who's, who's going to take the mantle of this. And if nobody is the answer, then is that a risk that people are willing to accept that the taxpayer is willing to accept that uh, fighter pilots are willing to accept because, you know, it's going to be that much more difficult to get picked up behind enemy lines. I've seen various uh, things in the news about, um, from from senior Air Force leaders, kind of alluding to the fact that the CSAR mission may now be too risky, um, uh, just with the with the current threat lowdown and, and everything like that. And I mean, don't get like, shot we, down. We, yeah. yeah, don't get shot down. We'll we'll send you. I think the solution, the the short answer is we'll we'll send you a rocket pack or an Iron Man suit or something. <laughs> right. We'll just we'll, we'll send on a little hypersonic missile package, and you just strap that on, and, and you can you can affect your own rescue that way. But um, no, nah, this is this is a th- uh, a mission that uh, was kind of born in, in 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 the fires of Vietnam, and there a lot of lessons were learned in, in blood. And between that and and the CAS mission, I think a lot of expertise is going to get lost, and you're just going to have to pay for those lessons in blood all over again if if nobody retains that knowledge in the in the culture and the community here. I got two things real quick. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say what you didn't say, which is surprising. That you know the Viper obviously performed better. But I mean, a Strike Eagle, twice the people have to essay. That is a divisor. So <laughs> I said it, and uh, it's out there. But also, you know, again, this is why I have a master's degree. Is we're hearing about the A10 and survivability, 0.9 Mach, yada yada yada. Got to go fast. We've also talked about the next generation air dominance fighter. So. I propose we get the army involved in the development of the next generation air dominance fighter where Paco said, they're all going to be tailless. We know they'll put a tail on it because just like the F 35, we didn't need a canopy bow, but we got a fifth gen fighter that can do helicopter things. And now you got a canopy bow. So they'll just do something, you know, just completely bastardize, uh, in GAD and, you know, it'll do the a 10 mission. So there you go. Problem solved. 
And, you know, Satan, I know you didn't do this on purpose, but you're talking to three original F-16 guys who pride themselves on being able to do multiple roles. And then hearing <laughs> that the F-16 could handle Sandy, I was like, yes, like my, my F-16, <laughs> F-16 heart was very, uh, was overflowing. The uh, one you think, you know, I think a lot of people, this is, this is kind of just sidebar. A lot of people think F-16s are every base, just all the mission sets. But that's not re- that's not reality, and I think that's what the F sixteen has done relatively well is like they have specific bases that focus on seed suppression of enemy air defenses. They have specific bases that focus on AI like air interdiction, and they have specific bases that focus on CAS. So I think it would be you know something similar to that where hey you have your block thirty bases your you know your your jets that are primarily CAS guys they would probably be the closest thing you could get to a to a relative replacement to an A10 cuz again the F16 is not going to do it better but it's it's the next best option you know and i think that's that's uh that's we'll we'll have to do it cuz not picking us up you know we can't just go and steal F14s uh like in Top Gun Maverick you know i mean theoretically <laughs> how with that attitude yeah hey. Hey, try yeah, harder. It's great. Yeah. It's gonna win Best Picture. You heard it here first. Best Picture yeah. nominee. Awesome. I, it, was a, it was a great start, movie. Yeah. Start an air cart. Could anyone start an air cart? Yeah, you just do this, and somebody yeah. Yeah. Like and something happens. <laughs> Swap it over. Yeah. I I was a I my you know dirty little secrets. I was an F sixteen test engineer in my previous life as a civilian, and so I I actually could probably remember how to start a dash sixty cart if if I had a gun in my head. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm hoping maybe it's a country where their F-16s have been uh, sold there or yeah. stolen there at some it point. Probably will be. Yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. the thing is you don't buy. So if the if the critique of the A-10 is that it's not survival on a high end mes, an F-16 circling around a survivor trying to protect them is equally as unsurvivable in a high end mes as an A-10 is. Uh, in fact, it's probably less survival, to be honest. Um, just. You know, moving fast has advantages if you do, if you're doing it for a specific purpose, you know, it makes you a little bit more survivable. Um, but moving slow probably makes you a little bit more survivable in a mission like a Sandy mission. Uh, anyway, so the the reason why the F-16 would take that role on is only because they want to, you know, they're trying to divest of the A-10. It's not because the F-16 has any kind of benefit that the yeah. A-10, you know, doesn't have. So it doesn't solve the problem, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, the problem yeah. is still there. It's an unsurvivable mission for F-16s. It's a completely undoable mission for F-35. There's no way F-35s could be sand. I mean, they have a lot of SA and a lot of loiter time and all that, but it's the same thing. A turning F-35 is vulnerable. You know what I mean? It's just the it's the nature of the beast. So all those advantages that we get from LO and all that stuff, it's just not made for that mission. So we got to well, figure out something. That well, you got to pick the guy up and remember like the Air Force initially is going to buy HH-60 whiskey models and they started rolling that out at Moody. I think the original purchase was like 123, something like that. And then they, they slash in half basically because they've said, this is an unsurvivable mission. I mean, if it takes four hours and I can, you know, talk, you know, Syria, right? We're all there. When uh, the Jordanian went down when we were there, it was a four and a half hour flight to pick him up. And then they started moving things forward. But even still, like there's some areas you're operating that, you know, best case scenario, maybe an hour and a half, maybe two hours that they're going to pick you up, which that's flying into an environment that doesn't have crazy double digit surface air missiles and, and yeah, integrated air defenses and yeah, yada, yada, yada. So maybe... I, maybe it goes back to like 
you know, objective one, don't get shot down. <laughs> and two, whatever it is, the mission is of that day, <laughs> be, be a champion. It's not a good, yeah, it's not a good spot to be. Now you want to yeah. go down over the wall, probably in that fight for sure. Like, in, if you yeah. go over the wall, like just enjoy the food. Oh, I guess. Deal with the sharks. Are you kidding me? I've seen Jaws. <laughs> the, uh, one, of the, one of the guys uh, in my TX now, he's an A10 guy from Fort Wayne. He's uh, he's transitioned into the C model, which that is a challenging change. Like he has, he said he has no bad habits cause he has no habits at all. So he, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, he was saying at least at Fort Wayne, maybe, maybe at other a 10 bases, but he said, I think it was every sortie or almost every sortie he shot the gun. And I was like, that is oh, a yeah. great way to keep morale high. Like, are yeah. you kidding me? Like, you're just like every day, like, yeah, 400 rounds, no big deal. Like that's, Pretty awesome. Like that's that's a good technique for keeping fighter pilots happy. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I I savor every trigger pull I get because uh, Rain was alluding to it earlier. But uh, I made made some life choices uh, coming up here where I'm probably going to stop flying the A10 later this year. But um, no, it's it's awesome. You know, we the standard is 200 rounds uh, every CT sortie. And then if the syllabus drives it, it's, you know, you get 360 or, or sometimes more, uh, at WIC, they get to shoot combat mix as opposed to just the target practice rounds that pretty much everybody else shoots. Um, yeah, A10 WIC is, I think the most expensive WIC because everything's real. It's all lives all the time. You gotta shoot, you know, high fidelity targets. You're, you're dropping everything in the inventory. Uh, and it's, it's a blast. Uh, you know, it's it, the, we love making fun of you guys up at 30,000 feet playing, you know, your laser tag games. Pew, pew, got you. No, oh, yeah. Huh. <laughs> when really all we're doing is just shacking metal on metal, you know, high explosive, you know, Maverick missiles going off, just fire, fire and death all every day, all day. And, and, and we love it. It's great. Um, yeah, that, that is, is definitely a, a, a point of pride in the community and, and definitely uh, uh, something that, like I said, all you youngins out there looking to maybe still fly the A10 before it goes away, you're, you're still you're going to get plenty of opportunities to to drop and shoot. So don't don't sweat it. Yeah, and our when we graduated Viper B course, we went down to the range down in Arizona or whatever, and the the Vipers did a couple passes, which it's awesome to see Vipers do passes. But then the A10s rolled in, and they did their I don't know how low you guys go, it's like 75 feet, so they look like they're yeah. you know we're standing pretty close to the target, and those. Those guys came in at 75 feet or whatever. And I had my little kids and they, the first one that just opened the gun, I kid you not, it knocked down my two-year-old. Like it literally <laughs> flattened on her back. Everybody else just like screamed in terror and she can like talk for like two minutes. It was like, holy crap. It was awesome. So no, I mean, yeah, it's terrifying. It's, you know, like nobody's going to do anything yeah. for a couple of minutes probably if there's an A-10 shooting at it. Yeah. And that's, that's again, the other difference maker in any kind of a ground fight is, you know, if you're, if you're a kid getting shot at from bad guys and then, you know, hog shows up and starts laying down 30 millimeter, you're just like, Holy crap. This, like I, my will to fight is renewed. If you're on the receiving end of that, you know, you're like, I need to get out of here. Cause I ain't going to last long. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a game changer. It absolutely is. Um, and that's something that that nobody else can really do uh, as effectively as as we can. Um, so, we'll, like I said, we'll see what happens in the future. 
uh, holding out hope for the A10E Sky Raider 2 acquisition program, you know, like what the Navy did with uh, Super Hornets. Maybe you can backdoor a, a four and a half gen cast platform that looks and smells a lot like an A10, but um, no, we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's, it's a fun mission for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was talking to some guy, we were at SOS and I think he was trying to like slight me, you know, he, he was a good dude, but he was just making a joke and he was like, okay, so the F-16 has a 20 millimeter cannon. I was like, that's right. And he's like, and the A-10 is a 30 millimeter cannon. I was like, that's right. And he's like, so if you do the math, it's, it's not just like 10 millimeter larger. It's like 100% larger of like the overall <laughs> bullet size. And I was like, yeah, that checks. Like you're, you are correct. And it doesn't even hurt my feelings. Like I, I am impressed with it as well. You know, <laughs> when you look at, you know, like the A-10s use their gun on buildings and you know, they're like, Oh, you got somebody in the building. I'll just shoot them inside. you know? And you're like the F-16 <laughs> and it looks like someone's setting off M-80s on the roof and the A-10 shoots it and it's like Swiss cheese and you're holy smokes. All right. Good work. <laughs> Solid gun. Um, I watched one A-10 on the strafe and it hit all, it was just a single round that hit this ISIS individual who then like no longer existed after it. But I mean, you're shooting forearms at people yeah. that have grenades. Yeah. It's crazy. It'd be a fun gun to shoot just once. Yeah. Twice. Was, yeah. That's I always my favorite ride in the B course is when the test pilot school guys come out and they get one ride in the A-10 and they, there's, there's like a run card thing that they got to do with a bunch of nerdy stuff on it. But most of them just scoff it and just go straight to the range and just, you know, <laughs> ah, we're just going to shoot all the bullets. We're going to ripple the pot of rockets. I always try to negotiate with the top three to give them some extra rounds. Uh, it's, it's always fun. It's, it's, it's a 10 appreciation day for them for sure. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I don't, what's the gun pod? The F 35 gun pods for the Navy and Marines. I, I, they might only be 25 millimeter, but they might be 30 millimeter. I don't I'll have to look that up. That'd be pretty I think it's more 25. Is it 25? They tried to do the 30 millimeter. I think they, they tried a 30 millimeter pod on the, the Viper way back in, you know, go for one times when they were doing that, that weird Delta version, like F 16 XL and all the other stuff. But I mean, you can't like, it's when you try to strap something like that onto a jet, it's just, you run into so many engineering problems, accuracy problems, vibration problems, all that stuff. And it's just nowhere near as effective as a purpose built, gun with wings and engines on it and it's just super accurate and super effective yeah i think the coolest part too is like the flight controls locking out on the a10 when you pull the trigger is like half detent the flight controls lock out i yep. could really use that in the viper <laughs> on strafing. i like think zorro the target i think you got it so shout out to my my homies at the 416th still doing the lord's work out there but i'm pretty sure they it was called like death claw or something where it it basically does the the same thing where it engages the autopilot of the jet on the first detent and effectively locks the pipper onto whatever you've got it on on the ground and it'll dampen out any you know turbulence or, or whatever that's that's impacting your aim and it just makes for way more accurate shots so i don't know which blocks or, or variants got that but uh i think it's pretty effective is my understanding yeah, turbulence is always affecting me on the strafing run. That's the issue. So I need a turbulence yeah. dampening like <laughs> control yeah. logic. It wasn't the fact that I was 450 knots trying <laughs> right. to extend the speed brakes while I'm trying to shoot the gun. Right. And, and with the flight control logic, does this, the flight control logic switch over like what, 425 or something? Yeah, is that 0.7 to 0.9 Mach? Yeah, yeah. Once you so, got above that, it was all over the place. Yep. Uh, 
That was my issue every time. Yeah, that's yeah. death claw. It's, it it's got a good spread though. I mean, I killed some stuff with the gun. I just yeah. had to, you know, hit a lot of empty space first, but yeah. eventually I found the thing. Well, that's why you got a hundred <laughs> rounds per second, you know, instead of 70 rounds per second, you know, you need a few extra rounds per second. The uh, one thing I saw, I've never obviously flown the A-10, but just kind of looking at the cockpit is out the front of the A-10, there is, there's a lot of hardware. I mean, you've got like the HUD and the arms, and then you've got like the, the, I don't know what the glass kind of combining or the bars that are holding it, but it, it doesn't look like the visibility out the front is, uh, is awesome. I would, I would assume. <laughs> it's like a football helmet, man. You just gotta, you know, just put the, put on the helmet. You got all the bars and stuff in the way, but, uh, it's, it's there for a purpose. So the, the a 10 is built to, to take damage. Like unlike most other airplanes that, you know, you're, you rely on stealth or speed or maneuverability or whatever. Like we're, we're built to take hits. We assume that we're getting shot at every time we go over the target. We assume we're probably going to take, uh, hits, uh, out there. And that's, that's what the jet was built for. You got the titanium bathtub, you know, the, the front windscreen is, is designed to take anything up to, uh, your, your design. It's the, the whole thing is designed to take up to 23 millimeter and still keep going. So, um, yeah, the, the forward viz isn't nearly what you get in the Viper or, or a lot of other platforms that are out there, but you just kind of get used to it. Uh, you're not, most of the time you're not necessarily looking forward. You're kind of offset holding to the, to the side or whatever, or you're wheeling it up and you're just looking over the rail. And the viz on that is great because the wing, the cockpit is so much forward of the wing. It's a weird thing that most people don't think about, but if you ended up and ever flying like the T6 or the Super Tucano or any of those uh, planes like the um, that are supposed to do, you know, counterinsurgency casts or things like that. It's a lot trickier than it is in the A-10 because you can't just bank and, and orbit over the target and still see because the wing is right there. So uh, it's all it's all built with a purpose. Uh, the, it's a great, great designed airplane. Um, and probably never seen anything like it again, unfortunately. I lo- if if we're talking uh, football helmets, I feel like the F sixteen is uh, the canopy is like that old uh, football kicker helmet, where it was just like one bar down here. You know, that was like all it had. Didn't really protect you for much, but darn, the visibility was good. The uh, does the A ten do left hand wheels or right hand wheels? Uh, we right now are a uh, right hand wheel community. It used to be left hand, but then. Oh. Again, a bunch of smart guys doped out. Hey, we should put the targeting pot on the right side because in X, like if the left engine seizes and this and that happens, blah, 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 Bill got a control. So P4. they started putting the pot on the right side. Yeah. <laughs> started putting it on the right side uh, about 10 years ago. That's what we did. <laughs> the, Can you imagine well, making like people change like, hey, you're going to put the radar over your right knee. You know, yeah. like, oh man, I don't know what Bender again. I think he just it plugs into the back of his what's head that? and just like reads what's happening. But it's like we had to switch like MFDs where the radar was, like it would be uproar. Yeah. Well, Bender yeah, does. Oh, gotcha. so, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I just assumed everybody did right hand wheels because A10s do right hand wheels, F16s do right hand wheels. And then I was like, Hornets and Strike Eagles do left-hand wheels is my understanding. Somebody will fact check that. Well, so that's the problem with the strike you that we found it. That's the root cause. Makes yeah, sense. Makes sense yeah, I think I, I believe lost all your strike eagle listeners. Dang it. Sorry. <laughs> well, <God. laughs> well I mean, strike eagle. rain started it. The, uh, ben I had to say it. Satan yeah. didn't say it. He was going to say it, but it had to be said. <laughs> 
Bender does the does the 35, I mean like cast wheel with the weird pod under the nose. Not weird, sorry. The pod under the nose. The super what? advanced pod under the nose. Yes, yeah. correct. You are correct. The, That's the like six generations advanced. less advanced than all of your pods. Well, yeah. it's, it's funny. The rest of the, the glass is like very smooth. And that one is the opposite. But yeah. I understand why. So left hand wheel, right hand wheel. We are ambidextrous as far as wheels go. So yeah. just like, oh, we're hanging out with <laughs> Hornets right. today. We'll do left hand wheels. We're, yeah. we're Vipers today. We'll go right hand wheel. Yeah, and we'll like miss that. whatever we're trying to hit on either <laughs> left-hand wheels or right-hand wheels. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty tough. Like, I, I haven't done a whole lot of casts. Uh, we will wheel it up if we're going to do, like, high-angle strafe and stuff, and then you just kind of make it happen, which is fun. But we don't, you know, we don't do BSA and stuff, which is tragic because that's a fun mission. So we don't spend a lot of time doing that. Um, i trying to think if – it's just a hard – like, it's just not made to – and if I spent a lot of time doing it, I could probably figure it out. But in the F-16, it was like, great. You had the HSI and you did have whatever arrow pointed at the thing. And it gave you like your miles away. So you always knew where you were in relation to the target. In the F-35, like it's just not, it's a lot of effort to try to get that kind of information. And so just staying in a five to 10 mile wheel around something, like I have not been super successful up to this point. So uh, there are different challenges. It's just not made to do that. Like in the F-16, which isn't made to do that like an F and like an A10 is, but even F16 was much more, you know, it was much more uh, convenient in that in that regard. Though, so we don't do a lot of wheels now, but we do have GB12s, which is you know great. It's a very fifth genny weapon. You know, you want to get in there have... like LO, and then right when you're like 10 miles from the target, you want to open your doors. You want to like release this bomb and then lays it in. <laughs> it's great. It's awesome. Super LO. Yeah. <laughs> What are some of the, with the A-10, because it's got one mission set, so it can get really good at it. What are some of the trends that Pete, like students, you know, at the FTU kind of struggle with when they're trying to figure out air-to-ground life? Uh, it's it's a little bit of everything. Usually it's the, the biggest thing is uh, just kind of the, the task management piece. So we try to make it a pretty straightforward building block approach where we're just going to teach you how to do like, one thing decently at a time. And then by the time you get to the end of the cast phase, we start task loading them with, all right, I'm going to give you a, a position change, a frequency change and tell you to fence in and you got to figure out how to do all that at the same time. And so that's, that's usually where, where people struggle. Um, it's, it, 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 it generally students do pretty well now going back to some of the earlier topics um, that you guys are talking about in previous bro chats with the whole UPT, you know, 2.5 and everything. Um, you know, we had, we had students that struggled with struggled with basic airmanship for a while. I think the root cause on, on that was largely COVID and just poor flying continuity and, and everything that kind of happened because of, of COVID largely. Um, but since then, you know, things I think have, have leveled out pretty well. We've started getting uh, some UPT 2.5 people in the last couple of classes. I haven't really been keeping track of who's who intentionally, just so that, you know, we can go to the end and be like, okay, who's what and you know, who went through what course and, and be somewhat surprised and, and not have any, you know, biases or anything like that. Um, but uh, really just like the first time you point at the ground, 
with when you're going to drop a bomb or shoot the gun is is definitely a an emotional event for for a lot of folks um and just having you know going through that mental checklist of okay what's my dive angle where's the target what am i still legal to drop all right how do i maneuver the airplane to get to where it's going and oh by the way airspeed's increasing rapidly during this whole thing and it's getting louder and louder because of the wind and, and all that stuff that's yeah <laughs> yeah no it's um that's definitely uh i, I think an, an early an early challenge for students to just kind of you know building their mental shock clock of, of what they can do uh and uh either down the chute or in the hold when you're getting a bunch of you know nuggets down tasks and things like that because we still fly primarily visual formations we're not like everybody else who flies like sensor line and you know spread formations where you're lying on radar essay or link essay or anything like that we still generally fly uh visual formations for the most part in at least at the b course level and then uh you know kind of ramp things up from there the uh, I did red air for uh, A ten ACM so air combat maneuvering uh, because A ten still trained to kind of air to air you know because if you get rolled up you need to know how to defend yourself and uh, it yep. it definitely made me even though I knew it was training it made me concerned for my life when the A ten guys were like cool uh, so we'll uh, we'll consider a valid gun kill as a two second track. And I was like, oh my gosh, like how many 30 millimeter do you need to kill me in an F-16? Uh, but it, it seemed excessive for two seconds of 30 millimeter on my jet. And I was like, okay, I mean, you got to shoot every piece of the airplane. I don't know. Yeah, well, only I a few Shiv. frames, I think. Uh, I, oh, I'll yeah, say, well, Shiv has a good story. A Viper and a, a Raptor on the side of his jet because Loco and I went out and Loco flying the Raptor. We went out and did uh, high aspect BFM. And so the first time fighting Shiv, like, well, he's an A-10, so I'm just going to go straight up once we hit the merge. And turns out old Shiv, as I look across the circle, is going straight up as well. I'm like, well, this is an interesting move. It's a bold move, Cotton. But <laughs> as he's like two and a half miles away from me and nose is falling through the horizon, he calls a snap. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess it's a big old bullet, but I was in the HUD at some point, so it's just going to fly across the circle, you know, for two and a half miles. It probably would hit me. I don't know. Like, but, <laughs> you know, stirred up the entire world. I occasionally see that article pop up with a E10 with the side of a yeah. load of a Raptor and a Viper on there, and everyone's just losing their minds. Yeah. yeah. I want to see those tapes. Yeah. yeah I was like, yeah, I don't believe this. <laughs> yeah. Shiv, if you're listening, God, you know, give him credit. Hey, he called it. It's on the plane. Yeah. He we'll went up. Know. You know what? So I'll give him credit because I did not anticipate that he was going to go into the vertical, but he also knew that I was not anticipating that. So yeah. we can go, <laughs> we can go vertical once. We can yeah. go vertical once and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to keep going up. So I'll see you down there in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Sooner or later. Yeah. You got to. I mean, you got you can just fight with the 135 degrees of aspect. Like that's your big defense. Yeah. You just point at us so we can't get. You're like, dang it. So yeah. <laughs> I, I did. I fought a C-130. I don't know why we did this, but in Masawa, a C-130. I don't. Did you do that, Vader? I don't. I don't know if everybody uh, got to, but they were just like, we just want to, you know, practice our defensive reactions, or whatever. So just gun us for 20 minutes. So it was a lot of fun, but it was actually like really challenging because the thing was going like 100. 40 miles an hour with a 700 foot turning radius so every time you know you're like you have to like start the engagement before he points at you and then he's got to rotate all the way through 
so that you can kill them within the training rules or whatever. Anyway, it was, it ended up being pretty tough. So it was mostly just like straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down, killing the C-130. It was a lot of fun, but I assume A-10s, I mean, you fight like that too, except for you shoot back, which would be not ideal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As the nose rotates through 30 millimeter all around you. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did the same thing with a C-17 when I was in South Carolina. And uh, the thing that I was surprised that they were surprised about, they were like, okay, so we normally do our defensive reactions at 500 feet AGL or a thousand feet AGL. And they were like, so we'll just do that. And then you can try to gun us. And I was like, no, like we can't, we can't do unlimited maneuvering at a thousand feet over the water at a hundred and some knots. And they're like, why not? I was like, cause that's, that is insane. Uh, so we, <laughs> they were like upset that we had to set the floor at 5,000 feet uh, and pretend that was the ground. But yeah, I just, I wasn't in the airplane. I was trying to gun the airplane, but th- the way they explained it to me is like, everybody picks a window and they're all other than the pilot flying is like staring out the window. And so they have these little like portholes on the back doors. And so literally I would go directly above the plane, like the C-17 and then try to pick a side to like get, pull some lead. And then that person would be like, he's over here. I imagine, you know, and then, <laughs> and then they would like turn into me. And, uh, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the easiest thing. Like if you were trying to take that plane down, like it would not, it would not be like a zap and then you move on. You know, you probably have a couple of attempts to, to get it, get it complete. I mean, maybe the A-10 could do it in one, one gun squeeze, but. Probably. <laughs> probably. Well, yeah, uh, we got 70 about, bullets coming out every second. So. Yeah. And again, they're forearms with yeah. HEI. So it's going to yeah. hurt when it hits you. I would say, I know we're an hour and 10 minutes here. I mean, minus a couple seconds, because we'll shave that off for the intro. But Bender did a phenomenal job with the intro. Um, I was impressed. Any 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 highlights, parting shots? We wrap up. I know Bender's got to get out the slopes. Well, rough, rough Satan said he's got a debrief story, so I want him to end with that. Ooh, maybe we can wrap yeah. it up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is known, at least in uh, in my friend's circle and in, in parts of the A10 community, is the the space helmet debrief. So so there I was. You know, in, no. in the in the stuff, no shit. Um, <laughs> they were trying to make me a Sandy one in one week, so we could go to Nellis to do this uh, named exercise that I can't talk about right now. But um, the uh, the schedule was a Tuesday night alert upgrade, a Wednesday day MPC cycle into a Thursday night pre-planned ride so pretty action packed, pretty busy pretty standard for the 23rd fighter group out of moody um so i go out tuesday night the squadron commander is my ip of record and you know i go out and night night stuff for us is, is generally more difficult because again no radar go figure um and i go out and i they call it the sandy one blanket uh, or all you do is sandy one is you just get super task focused on talking to the survivor and you just completely scoff the rest of the the uh, formation and the strike package and everything and all you do is just talk to this one person and you just it's called pulling the sandy one blanket over your nugget and uh i did that big time and hooked the crap out of that ride and so that was a great way to start the week so we got done debriefing that at like two or three in the morning and then i had to show up at like 8 a.m for the whole all day mission planning cycle that 
my weapons officer drifter dragged me through basically with my collar like just like all right dude you need to ask me this because i'm the seed guy now so say this i'm like oh, blah, 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 blah. okay good now you need to tell all the air to air guys this timeline you need to tell the tanker guys this and i'm just like uh whatever he's basically sock puppeting me through the whole day and so thursday rolls around and i'm like all right i'm not gonna die today like i i am going to go out and kick ass on this ride like there's nothing that's going to stop me i don't care it's going to be awesome so i go out i give the brief and the brief actually goes pretty good i go out and do the flight the flight actually goes pretty good um and then we get to the debrief and drifter's still like kind of well, no, no, you know he's a little bit on the fence him and on and so in the debrief so i you know talk through everything it's about two or three in the morning and he's still kind of like on the fence a little bit, but I know something about drifter and I know that drifter is a big Taylor Swift fan and this. <laughs> oh, oh man. <laughs> Cliffhanger and he's gone. Yeah. Taylor Swift and he's gone. Come back. Yeah. If there's Where one thing you want to hear. Going? Yeah. <laughs> That's Taylor like mine. Walks out. Yeah. The, the episode with uh, Jocko. Well, um, no, yeah, no, not, no, not, not Jocko Willink. Um, <laughs> Trimble and it's POW in Vietnam, and he was he got shot down, but he was telling me the story, and he was like right to where he was gearing to get shot down, and then it's like boom, he was gone. I was like, ah, it's a cliffhanger. People listen to the episode have no idea there was some like <laughs> surgery that went on after in the post production, but um, this one I don't, I don't know if we're going to get the story. Yeah. Taylor Swift. Yeah, Drifter and Taylor Swift. Didn't die. Yeah. You gotta get him He's... back. See I gotta say, Vader, it. your camera, your camera is it's impressing today. I don't know what the difference that. is from like I mean, I kept the really window open. Yeah. Maybe I've yeah. just got natural light. Added light yeah. yeah. Are you getting some Marriott points? Uh or are you on base? Uh all the Marriott points. There you go. Yeah. 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 It looks like a little Marriott quarter Marriott. <laughs> I appreciate that you know by your travels. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, yeah, like a hundred plus days uh, yeah. in this TX. So yeah, Dang. I think I think it's Where like titanium or something. Yeah. You definitely have a parking take spot. Alley. You got to take Ali somewhere. Yeah. Some, I mean, we'll watch I don't the know kids. Where. You take her somewhere cool. All right. Yeah. Des Moines. Des Moines. Yeah. Where would you fly to? Idaho. Yeah. We, now we've, we've alienated Des Moines, yeah. uh, Liberty <laughs> University, Strike Eagles. Who else? Who else is this episode? I treated uh, my university pretty well. I feel like St. Mary's will be excited about what yeah. I said. Yeah. yeah. Satan says stand by. Yeah. I mean, Jacksonville State, great university. I mean, but you know, yeah, Deion Sanders. That's where uh, you know he turned that place around. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same one. I think there's a lot of Jacksonville states and Jackson states. (laughs) Oh yeah, he was Jackson (laughs) State. (laughs) Maybe I don't know. I should have. I just lost touch after uh, you know I got my certificate and said this is uh, check, so I should be able to get promoted. The sad part about my major, like when I got my master's, it was well, everybody said like get it done, like early in your career when you're not like super busy. So I have almost zero memories of like Ben as a baby because I would go to work for 12 hours and I'd come home and do three hours of freaking masters every night. And I never saw the kid. Like, anyway, that's, that's it's like, why would you do that to people? Don't do that to people. It was stupid. That's the saddest Wait, story I've heard. That is. Well, I feel the same way right now. I've been, I've been TDY for four, four plus months of the 
five months my son has been alive and it's like yeah cool yeah poor kid but, yeah. but you are a titanium member at marriott that's true yeah. he's gonna appreciate that he's yeah, gonna you, be really happy you at least have six free nights at a level two or below hotel <laughs> that's right it does say i get uh upgrades to the not just like a regular upgrade but like an even nicer upgrade yeah. but again we we have to put these things to the test i you know just having it is not the thing i yeah, do have to you, say I was like, when you check in, you're going to get two free bottles of water and a bag of chips now. I like it. Hopefully they're kettle chips. Those are my favorite. No, no, no. They're Lay's playing. Well, Bender, you remember because we went to Guam and Compton, he, uh, he was a, he did the C12 upgrade in Meridian, Mississippi. And uh, we all know there. And, but he stayed in a Hilton for like four and a half months or three and a half months. And so when he was the pro Joe to take us to Guam, he was like, we are staying at a Hilton and every, he got upgraded to the suite. So we were double booked. So him and Stuka got this like massive suite. They'd be sitting on their balcony, drinking coffee in the morning. Uh, and they got free breakfast, the like $28 buffet. They got it free. Uh, every I had no day. idea that was happening. Oh yeah. I was like Compton would say that this was the worst thing. Cause Compton was like, you know, keeping his diet on point. Cause he was going to the beach. He would literally get a $28 free breakfast every morning and eat like bananas dipped in peanut butter and like oatmeal. And I'm like, they have like bacon and eggs and everything. Like, <laughs> yeah, not be you Vader. You're going to be oh, yeah. sitting in your suite while the rest of the squadron down on the first floor. I, so I, when I did MC12s, I had it teed up. I was in a Marriott in whatever Roseville, you know, near Beale. This would be awesome. I was going to rack up like 500,000 points. The game plan was already laid out. Guys had already done it. I was there for three nights, and then they forced us all to move on base. Uh, it was the, the worst. Yeah. Because yeah. I heard like one guy, he's like, uh, he went and racked up like 500,000 Marriott points. <laughs> Go anywhere in the world for like two weeks, you know, yeah. traveling every little pod on every airplane. And I, I got the like four to a building, like rooms, whatever, with like a shared kitchen that was built in 1943. And yeah, condemned, but you're going to want those Air Force ins points. Yeah, they're worth a lot. So you don't get, yeah, you don't want the brown blanket. You want like the tan blanket, like get the little upgrade going. Which I did when, when we did the Drago podcast. I was um, staying at the Navy Inn at Pensacola. Mm. And that was just a refresher and appreciation for, I don't know, a courtyard Marriott after that yeah. point. Like, oh, it's like right here on the water. I'm like, oh, sweet. Not that like my hands are, my hands are getting pretty soft in my old age. But, like that bed, like this thing is a piece of wet cardboard that has no support whatsoever. And the sheets, the sheets were like a two thread count. So it was like, yeah. I don't know, 80 grit sandpaper. Yeah. <laughs> these are air force problems like marines yeah. and army listen to this and just like outrage but uh, here's satan look at this satan's back. Back. back we back everyone sorry just, about that i think no they have to experience this too we were on uh as a cliffhanger and i don't think we edited this out but uh nope. it was yeah. drifter's favorite person is taylor swift so yeah yeah he loves Action. taylor swift and it's 3 a.m and uh you know, we, we just start drinking adult beverages and I just start bumping Taylor Swift in the bar to try to, you know, ply him into passing me on this ride. And so one thing leads to another. And uh, the other thing that's going on is um, at 6 a.m. There's a showtime for one of those glorious wing uh, 
runs around the base. So, cause it's the 23rd wing, it's going to be a 2.3 mile formation run. So, you know, people start showing up in PT gear and the bar sounds like a, you know, full up roll call is happening, you know, cause we're just blasting music and having a great time. And I've got in this, uh, this old MiG 25 space helmet from, I don't know where they got it from one of those European TSPs that they did, but there's a video I'll send it to you guys here in a, in a little bit. There's a video that somebody took of me cause they walk into the bar and I'm dancing to Taylor Swift, wearing this Soviet MiG pilot helmet and smoking a cigar and just dancing my butt off to try to pass this ride. And I ended up passing the ride and it was great. But people were like, what's going on? Everyone's trashed. Drifters, you know, asleep in the trunk of his car. You know, it's like, what is going on? <laughs> what, did, what did Satan do <laughs> to, to merit this? You know, so that that was always colloquially known as the space on the But I did, uh, I passed the ride. The next week I made up the other ride and made Sandy one and went out to Nellis and, and did great things. And now I'm here talking to you guys. So it was a, it was a fun time for sure. Nice. This is a, a yeah, literal... step, stepping stone to make it here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Finally to get you moving. Yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, just the fact that there is a wing fun run on a night week, um, that just kind of like solidifies. At 6 a.m. Hey, yeah. yeah exactly. Moody standard. Everything's Moody closing standard. down at 2 a.m. on base. Like, oh, yeah. 6 a.m. fun run. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did leave work at 3.30 the day prior. So <laughs> also true. <laughs> very, very true. Well, uh, gents, I enjoyed it. You guys, any parting shots before we blast out of here? No, this was awesome. Nice to meet you, Satan. Yeah. yeah. Great meeting you guys too. Appreciate the opportunity and uh, happy to chat with you guys anytime, anywhere about anything. We should just start like someone should take the time to go through and capture all of Satan's uh, Facebook post yeah. and put that into a book. <laughs> That's what we should do. All right. I'm kind of bummed I didn't get any ACSC credit for all that stuff. I feel like I deserve some <laughs> some credits for for making all those posts. <laughs> did you do? Did you? Uh, oh, Ben, I saw Bender. You started ACSC. The I finished I it. What does it stand for? Um, <laughs> Air, Air command and staff. Air command and staff yeah. college. Yeah. So there we go. Yep. I should know that as a graduate, but um yeah. I'm on cap. I uh I failed my my first like proctored class. Even the teacher even sent me an email the day before the final grades were due. It's like if you will just put in two sites or two references to the readings, like I'll pass you. I didn't get the email until the next day or whatever. So like, <laughs> there's nothing I can do for you. Yeah. Uh, okay, I guess I'll see that again. Yeah worth a shot oh i love it all right gents enjoyed it yeah see ya for sure yeah. stay easy fellas see you guys hey hope you enjoyed today's episode join us tomorrow thursday january 26th for the live bro chat over on youtube and again check out youtube because that's where episodes are dropping first so you don't miss out and get the early snapshot thanks again for listening and see you next time Afterburn Podcast is a proud supporter of Guns Gear Memorial Foundation, helping our veterans and their families when they need it most. To learn more, visit gunsgarren.com slash rain.